Hey guys, your host Matt Perry here. Exciting news for old time radio forever. We've just recently started working with our new sponsor, Podcorn.com. P-O-D-C-O-R-N.com. Podcorn.com is an online marketplace that connects podcasters to podcast advertisers. There is no middleman with Podcorn.com. You as a podcaster, or if you wish to be an advertiser, you simply search through advertising opportunities and you work together to produce great podcasting content. For you podcasters out there, there is no worry. You lose none of your exclusive rights to your podcast and all Podcorn does is help you get connected to potential advertisers. The great thing about Podcorn working with Old Time Radio Forever is it allows me to devote more time to the program. So now there'll be more episodes each week and inside of each Old Time Radio Forever episode, you have multiple Old Time Radio shows. So show a big thanks to our new sponsor, Podcorn, and click the link in our description below or head on over to podcorn.com. Hello and welcome to the Old Time Radio Forever broadcast. I'm your host, Matt Perry. Join us weekly as we explore the golden era of American radio through the dramas, westerns, mysteries, and comedies that shaped the golden age. Be sure to give us a thumbs up or a five-star review on all of the podcast directories that you may use. favorite husband, a new series based on the delightful stories of Isabel Scott Rorick's gay, sophisticated Mr. and Mrs. Cougar, two people who live together and like it, starring this ball with Richard Denning. As we look in on the Cougats this morning, something new has been added. There's a moving van in front of the house next door. But, of course, the new neighbors don't interest Liz Cougat in the least. Liz? Yes, George? You've been standing at that window for an hour. Oh, I have not. Yes, you have. Ought to be a shame. Now, come away from there. They might see you. No, they won't, George. They're too far away. Well, then how can you see anything? I'm using your binoculars. <laughs> oh, Liz. Put those things down. I can see so much with them. <gasps> oh, my goodness. That must be the lady who's going to live next door. Oh, what a spook. <laughs> She's got big eyes on the side of her head and six legs. What? <laughs> oh, my mistake. I was looking at a fly on the windowsill. <laughs> oh, they're taking in a barrel now, and it's full of their very best china. How can you tell that? Because the moving man dropped it off the truck and bounced it along the sidewalk. Yeah, I guess you're right. Oh, there's the lady who's moving in. She's standing by the curb with one foot on her chest. I beg your pardon? She has one foot on her chest. It's a Chinese chest. 
What nationality is the rest of her? Oh, don't be silly. Now leave me alone. Oh, Liz, please, don't be so nosy. Well, there goes their living room couch. Hmm, it's not so hot. <laughs> it's just plain spying. You don't catch me doing anything like that. Oh, there goes a lot of fishing equipment. Hand me those glasses. <laughs> I knew that would get you. Here. Ah, there goes a shotgun and a big leather chair, probably mm -hmm. for the den. You know, George, now that I see you doing it, it does look awful. I'm not going to spy on them anymore. Mm, must have money, too. There goes a beautiful mink coat. Hand me those glasses. <laughs> hmm. That's the kind of mink that lays eggs at Easter. Now, Liz, we've got to stop peeking at them from behind curtains. You're right, George. I'll go over and peek at them in person. No. Oh, honey, I know you like to be neighborly, but sometimes you carry it too far. I do not. When the Crawfords lived there, they didn't complain that I was running over all the time, did they? No, they took the easy way out. They moved. Oh, George. Oh, look, there's Corey. I wonder what he's doing here so early. Maybe he's just getting home. He's probably been up all night dancing as usual. Oh, hello, Corey. Hi, George. Hello, Corey. What are you doing up so early? I came over to talk to George. What time is it? Eight o'clock. No. Yes, eight o'clock in the morning. Oh, is there an eight o'clock in the morning, too? <laughs> He's in much worse shape than I thought. What's in your mind, Corey? Well, I came over to congratulate you, George. You're about to become a mother. A mother? What am I going to do, become a father? <laughs> this is a great break for you, George. Starting tomorrow, you're going to be responsible for 130 children. Over my dead body. Well, it's this way, Liz. My mother's club is setting up a trust fund for an orphan's home they run. I suggested George for the trustee. Means a big account for your bank, George. Oh, that's swell of you, Corey. You just have to be passed on by Mr. Brennan, the head of the home, but that'll be no problem. Well, you better run along to the bank. Kiss me goodbye, Mother. By the time you get home, I'll know all about the people next door. Liz, I want you to promise me you won't go over there today. Now, we'll get to know them soon enough. Well, all right, I promise. You never can have any fun around here. Goodbye, Liz. Goodbye, Corey. Goodbye, Shorty. What do you mean, Shorty? Oh, I was looking at you through the wrong end of the binoculars. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, Corey. Mrs. Kugat, aren't you afraid the new neighbors may get suspicious and realize we're looking at them? Oh, why should they? We're just doing our cleaning. Yeah, but we've been washing these same two windows all afternoon. <laughs> Katie, you're right. We'll stop this minute. We're being completely unladylike and unneighborly. And besides, the moving van just left. <laughs> oh, my, they carried in a lot of junk, didn't they? I've been watching them move furniture for nigh under 30 years, and I've never seen such choice, ripe junk. <laughs> With women who know junk best, it's Mrs. Cougat, two to one. <laughs> oh, I'd love to find out what she's like, Katie. Oh, so would I. Of course, I promised George I wouldn't. But you know, she might be lonely. Do you think so? Yes. She'll get to brooding and wonder why her neighbors haven't come to see her. She'll feel she isn't welcome and become moody and depressed and despondent. Finally, she'll shut all the windows and... Turn on the gas. Goodbye, Katie. Oh, where are you going? Next door, if I hurry, I may be able to save her life. <laughs> 
This is Cougar. I think it was real sweet of you to drop over like this. Well, I, I thought it was a neighborly thing to do. I do, too. Usually, when you move into a new neighborhood, the people don't come over at all. They just stand behind their curtains and spy. <laughs> no. Yes. Why, the old snoops. <laughs> Mrs. Cougar, after we get settled, maybe you'd be good enough to find me some help. You certainly have two wonderful maids. Two? Yes, and are they thorough? They spent the whole day cleaning the same window. <laughs> well, we have just one maid, Katie. I'm letting the other one go, the red-haired one with the nice figure. <laughs> oh, well, then maybe I could get her to work for me. Uh, no, no, you wouldn't like her. She's too inquisitive. Got her big nose and everything. That's why I'm firing her. I can't stand that in a person. Neither can I. Oh, dear, the movers left that Chinese chest in the living room. I wanted it in the main hall. I wondered where you were going to use that. What? I mean, it's wonderful. Don't ever lose that. <laughs> well, I'll run along. If there's anything I can do for you, now you let me know. Well, there is one little favor, if it wouldn't be imposing. Of course not. What is it? Could you take care of my little Stevie for this afternoon? Why, of course, I adore children. I'll take him to a movie. I don't think you'd be very popular. He's only four months old. Four months? Oh, well, then I guess a movie is out of the question. <laughs> he couldn't chew the popcorn. <laughs> well, it won't be for long. I just have to get one carload of things from my old house. I'll leave the key in case you need anything. Oh, you know how to feed a baby, don't you? Now, don't you worry. If you're late getting home, he can eat with us. I'll just tell Katie to throw on another pork chop. <laughs> All right, Stevie, now you sit right here until Liz decides what to do with you. <laughs> well, sit up. Why do you keep falling over all the time? <laughs> all right, I'll hold you. There. with babies. How would you like to have me for a mother, huh? <laughs> well, you don't have to get nasty about it. Oh, Mrs. Cougar. What is it, Katie? Uh, Mr. Cougar just pulled into the driveway. He's home early. Oh, darn it. I thought I'd have the baby back by the time he came home. Here, take him in the other room. All right. Come on, baby. Hi, Liz. I'm home early. No. Yeah. That uh, fellow from Corey's orphanage couldn't make it this afternoon. He was moving or something. That's good. Let's go for a walk, dear. No, I'd rather just relax. Well, what happened around here today, Liz? What's new? Oh, nothing. What's new with you? <laughs> nothing. Liz, what's that crying? What crying? That crying. What's new with you? Liz, I distinctly heard a baby crying. <laughs> no, George. Uh, I did that. Oh, now, wait a minute. What do you take me for? For better or for worse, George. 
I don't mean that. Liz, there's a baby in that den. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. It is a baby. Give that man a box of diapers. <laughs> Whose baby is this? You, uh, you wouldn't believe it's mine, would you? No. Princess Elizabeth? No. <laughs> well, I guess that is pretty wild. What kind of a dick do you think I am anyway? Now, now, I want to know where this child came from, and I want the truth. All right, George. I'm waiting. I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, what's the use? Might as well tell you. I went over to call on the new neighbors. Liz, you didn't. All right, I didn't. Now I don't know where I got the baby. <laughs> so you got yourself involved already. Well, if you hadn't come home so soon, you never would have known. Besides, it's only for a little while. His mother will pick him up any minute now. I'll get it. Here, talk to the baby for a minute. I'll be right back. Uh, talk to the baby, huh? Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, what, what would you like to talk about? Oh, now, now, stop crying. If you stop crying, I'll make a funny face for you. Uh, let's see. Uh, how's this one? Uh, oh, now, don't cry again. Uh, let's see. How would you like to listen to my wife? Uh, let go of it. Well, well, hold it carefully. No, don't swing it. You might hit it on the table. <laughs> Put up your dupe. That was the baby's mother on the phone, George. Oh, well, I'd be glad to get rid of this kid. Is she coming right over? Uh, no, she isn't. Her husband is out of town, and her car broke down, and she'll have to stay at their other house until tomorrow. Oh, you mean we have to keep this little monster all night? Oh, George, it's wonderful of you to suggest that. The battle between Liz and George and the baby will continue in just a moment in Act Two of My Favorite Husband. It has been said that the military arm of America is the greatest force for peace in the world today. But it is not merely a preventive force. Hardly an hour passes in any given day in which our servicemen at home and abroad are not performing some deed that illustrates the desire of Americans to lend a helping hand wherever possible. Unique among these deeds is the one that occurred recently in Vendrail, Spain. High atop the spire of a church in that town, a 300-pound sculpture had stood since 1784. Now it seemed in danger of falling. So precarious was its perch that even the superstructure the townspeople built around it was considered insufficient to remove the statue safely. Word of the dilemma reached the United States 16th Air Force. Engineers designed a special rig and sent a helicopter to raise the heavy stone figure and bring it down for repairs. The story made no headlines except in the town of Vendrail, Spain. But it should also make a headline in the conscience of all Americans. A headline that might read, We are Americans. As we go, so goes America.
And now, let's go back to Liz and George Cougat and see how they're getting along with the baby. Where are you, Liz? In the kitchen. Oh, here you are. I got the baby bottles and things from next door. Good. I wrote the baby's formula down on this memo pad. Let's see now. We'll need milk, baking powder, cheese, and lighter fluid. What? Oh, that's my shopping list. Well, find that formula. The baby's upstairs screaming his head off. Oh, here it is. 28 and 2. 28 and 2 what? Well, I can't remember whether it's 28 ounces of milk and 2 of water or 28 of water and 2 of milk. But you do remember it was ounces. Yeah. Or was it quarts? <laughs> Fine. Now what do we do? Well, let's compromise. We'll make it 15 of each. Yeah, but it might not be good for him. Well, she talks so fast. She did say something about cereal. Yeah, that sounds better. I've heard of babies eating cereal. Now, which kind do you think he'll like best? Cornflakes or post toasties? <laughs> oh, here's a good one. Grape nuts. Ah, oh, that's a little rough, isn't it? Uh, maybe it should be cooked. Oh, don't be silly. You can't cook grape nuts. Here's some cream of wheat. Oh, wait a minute. Don't bother. Here's a bottle of stuff that's just made for babies. We'll give them a drink of this. What is it? Baby oil. Baby oil? Oh, they don't drink baby oil. They don't? Of course not. Oh, that's to fry the cereal in. Well, how'd you expect me to know? There's some canned baby food in that stuff I brought over. Oh, good. We can't go wrong with that. It's made for babies. Here, open a can of carrots. Oh, it's... Boiled. I'll have to throw it out. Oh, what's the matter with it? Oh, it's all mushy and squishy. <laughs> Another can. You know, here's a can of beets. That ought to be good. How do you like that? This one's spoiled, too, just like the other one. Gee, it's a lucky thing you noticed it. The kid sure would have been sick. Well, we'll just stick to the formula. Milk never hurt anyone. Okay. Oh, but we'll have to have a nipple for this bottle. Did you bring any? I didn't see any. Well, how are we going to... Get me the scissors, George, and hand me that pair of rubber gloves. I'll cut the fingers off. Mrs. Cougat, that baby is crying something off. I know it, Katie. We're having a terrible time trying to fix his food for him. Why didn't you call me? I know what to do. Oh, Katie, you're a lifesaver. But I'll fix it and give him this feeding. This feeding? You mean there'll be more? She means breakfast, George. Oh. Oh, no, I don't. But a baby this age is too young to be up at night. <laughs> You'll find out. He'll probably eat every four hours all night long. Oh, Katie, you're kidding. I'll bet he sleeps all night. <laughs> oh, Liz, isn't that baby asleep yet? Almost midnight. I can't understand it. I've fed him and walked the floor with him, rocked him, and he's still awake. Well, why don't you try changing? I did that, too. <laughs> My thumb has more holes in it than a pincushion. Here, you take him for a while, George. Oh, no. Now, this is your party. But, George, I'm so tired. Hey. Hey, wait a minute. He's asleep. No. Yes, sound asleep. I'll just put him down. Darn it. I know how to put him to sleep. rock a baby. Oh, George, would you? Sure. Wait here. I'll go get a nice big rock. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I was only kidding. Here, I'll take him for a little while. 
Now, he won't hurt you, Stevie. George, tell him one of your after-dinner stories. They'd put anyone to sleep. That's right. Insult me. Well, say something to him. He won't understand what you say. He just, just likes to watch your Adam's apple bob up and down. All right. Stevie, did you ever hear the story about the traveling salesman? Well, he knocked on the farmhouse door. George! <laughs> well, you said he wouldn't understand. Well, now I'm not so sure. <laughs> I'll just walk in for a while, George, and I'll take over again. Oh, come on, Liz, it's your turn. I've been packing this soggy little bundle for two hours. I didn't sleep a wink. Give him... Oh, George, I'm stupid. You're just finding that out? No wonder the poor little fellow couldn't sleep. I forgot to burp him. Burp him? Certainly. Come here, little fellow. Now, over my shoulder. There we go. A couple pats on the back ought to do it. When he does it, it's cute. When I do it, it's both. <laughs> oh, look. His little eyes are closing. Now, never mind his little eyes. How about his big mouth? <laughs> oh, he's asleep already. Oh, well, we finally did it, George. What time is it? Almost four o'clock. Well, since he took so long getting to sleep, maybe he won't even remember his four o'clock feeding. <laughs> oh, that's not a baby. It's a time bomb. Well, it's not his fault. He's hungry. Well, if he's so hungry, let him get up and make himself a sandwich. He knows where the icebox is. All right, I'm coming. Good morning, Mr. Atterbury. Who got? You're late, boy. I'm sorry, Mr. Atterbury. Have a party last night, boy? No, no, sir. No, Liz and, I, Liz and I were up all night with a baby. Yeah, those Liz... A baby? George, congratulations, boy. Oh, but Mr. Atterbury... Why didn't you tell me? Is it a boy or a girl, boy? It's a boy. Boy. Uh... <laughs> oh, but it isn't ours. We're just keeping it for the people next door. Oh. Uh, George, that Mr. Brennan was here this morning about the orphan's home trusteeship. I don't think you're going to get it. Because I was late? No, no, no. He wants a family man for the job. He thinks he'll understand the problems better. However, I persuade him to go out and see for himself what a lovely home life you have. I didn't tell him you have no children. He's on his way to your house now. Well, I, I'd better go out and meet him. Wait a minute. I have an idea, boy. Boy, what an idea. Is that baby still at your house? Uh, Mr. Atterbury, I know what you're thinking, and I just couldn't do it. Nonsense. You only come to your house once. You tell him the baby's yours, that's the end of it. No. Yes. 
I'll bust you to eight, Vice President. <laughs> you would. And I'll take your notary public stamp away. <laughs> I'll do it. All right. Run along, boy. In the meantime, I pause and call Liz and put her wise. Is Mr. Cougar in? I'm Mr. Brennan from the Orphan's Home. Oh, uh, no, Mr. Cougar's not home, Mr. Brennan, but won't you come in? Well, thank you. Oh, it's fantastic that you should live in this house. My wife and I just... Oh, here comes George now. My, how he's rushing. Oh, I thought I'd never make it. Uh, Mr. Brennan? Cougar. Uh, how do you do? Uh, won't you come in? Uh, did Mr. Atterbury call you, dear? No. Why should Mr. Atterbury call me dear? I mean... <laughs> no. Oh, uh, uh, sit down, Mr. Brennan. How's the baby, darling? Oh, do you have a baby? No. Yes. Oh, uh, you mean the one we just had last night? You, uh, just had it last night? Yes. It's four months old. <laughs> She's always joking. Great kitty, Liz. Uh, I'll get you a glass of water, Mr. Brennan. Oh, uh, no, no, don't bother. I'd like to see your child. No, it's no bother. Uh, come along, Liz. Help me get the water. You can carry a glass of water. Come on. Yeah, but really, I don't want any water. What's the matter? Have you gone crazy? Listen, Brennan wants a family man for that job, and Atterbury insisted we tell him that baby is ours. Oh, great. Well, let's show it to him. Where is the baby? I gave it back to his mother. Oh, well, we'll run next door and get him. I'll, I'll tell Brennan you have to dress him or something. And hurry up. All right. I'll take the shortcut through the backyard. Oh! Oh, I forgot that low branch. Oh, oh I thought that puddle dried up. Uh. Yes? Look, do me a big favor, will you? Lend me Stevie again just for a minute. I don't have time to explain. Why, uh, all right. Wait, he's right here. Say, you didn't see my husband, did you? No, I wouldn't know him. Funny, I thought I saw Mr. Brennan walking up the street before. Brennan? From the orphan's home? Yes. How did you know? Well, I'll tell you later. Goodbye. Uh, look out for that nail on the door. It'll catch your dress. I missed it. i got to watch for that puddle. There. Past it. <laughs> oh, right in the eye. Oh. oh, here comes Liz with the baby now. Here he is. Liz, what happened to you? You're sopping wet. The baby. And you've got a black eye and a bad bump on your head. Well, he fights when I try to dress him. Well, he must be a strong little rascal. Let me see him. George, did you know Mr. Brenton is the man who moved next door yesterday? What? I was going to save it for a surprise. That's a laugh, isn't it? Ha-ha. <laughs> Let me see the baby. Who does he look like? You'd die if I told you. <laughs> Here he is. Why, this is amazing. Child looks very much like my little boy. Oh, he does? Yes. Now, wait here. I'm going home and get my little Stevie so we can compare the two. And when they hold them up together, you'll think it's impossible. I know it's impossible. <laughs> I'll be right back with you. Now what? Get that kid back before he gets there. Oh, why didn't I put on my track shoes this morning? Come on, fellow traveler. Watch out for that branch. There. Jump the puddle. There. Here's the baby. Thanks. Seen your husband yet? No. Good. Goodbye. Oh, uh, look out for that nail. Oh! Oh, why doesn't she get that darn nail fixed if she knows it's there? 
Here he comes now. Where's the baby? Why didn't you bring him? Yeah, why didn't you bring him? <laughs> you know, when I got home and took a good look at him, I could see. They don't look alike at all. return in just a moment. Why is dead reckoning called dead? Any navigator will explain the term as the calculation of a ship's position without astronomical observations by plotting on a chart the distances covered along each course which has been steered. And if he knows his nautical history, he might add that a little over a hundred years ago, this process was correctly known as deduced reckoning. Old log books had a space for entering deduced position, but the space on the page was small, and navigators took to writing in the abbreviation D-E-D. Mariners read it aloud as dead, and by usage gave us a more colorful, if less accurate, term. In this complex world, where word meanings are constantly changing... It's easy to be misunderstood. That's why it's a good idea to know your words. Oh, Liz, I was almost asleep. Where have you been? Next door. I was telling Mr. Brennan how wonderful you are, and he's going to give you that job as trustee. Oh, that's great. Just, uh, just one thing, though. I had to promise to do them a favor. Yeah? What kind of a favor? <laughs> oh, no, not tonight. No, not tonight, George, for the whole weekend. Good night, honey. Oh. My favorite husband has been presented through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
The Jell-O program, starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston and Phil Harris and his orchestra. The orchestra opens a program with I Love to Whistle from Mad About Music. are running a race with a clock, a hundred things to do and so few hours in which to do them. Well, here's one good way to save time and save money, too, and that's to serve Jell-O often. For Jell-O is delightfully simple to prepare. It takes only a moment to dissolve, and it's quick setting. You can put a mold of Jell-O in the refrigerator before you go out shopping in the morning and take out a delicious dessert at lunchtime. And Jell-O is one of the most inexpensive desserts you can serve for a package costs only a few cents. No matter which flavor you choose, you can be sure of an easy, economical, and attractive dessert every time. For Jell-O brings you that delicious extra-rich fruit flavor that rivals the fresh fruit itself. So be sure to insist on genuine Jell-O when you buy. And buy it often, serve it often, for Jell-O is a grand dessert. I Love to Whistle, played by Phil Harris and his orchestra. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you... Hold it a minute, Don. How about letting me introduce myself tonight, just for a change? You know, something different. Oh, sure, Jack, but uh, what's the idea? Well, Don, every week you always say some ridiculous thing that starts me off with a handicap. <laughs> now, I think there ought to be a little more dignity to these introductions. All right, Jack, all right, you take it. <clears throat> that was I Love to Whistle, played by Phil Harris and his orchestra. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you one of the sweetest guys in the world. That sparkling personality and all-around good fella, Jack Bennett. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. <laughs> it's all right, kid. You deserve it. You see, Don, an introduction like that gives me the right kind of a build-up so that I can carry on with a feeling of confidence. Yes, but, Jack, uh, I could have introduced you the same way. I know, Don, but I sound more sincere. <laughs> you know, it rings true. Yes, but it also sounds a little egotistical, doesn't it? Oh, I don't know. I think Don's right, Jack. It sounded pretty conceited to me. You don't say, Phil. Yes, bragging like that is in very bad taste. Now, if my orchestra just finished the number, I personally would never turn around and say it was great. No, Phil, neither would anyone else. <laughs> hmm. With that gang of cadenza butchers. <laughs> you ought to be you ought to be glad to be working at all. Listen, Jack, it's your own fault. When I was hired for this job, you said you wanted me and seventeen men. You didn't specify musicians. 
I know, Phil, but you told me you were a leader of a band. Well, so was Robin Hood, but he didn't have to worry about music. <laughs> anyway, it's a fine bunch of boys you've got. I accidentally dropped my cigar a few minutes ago, and I had to, had to fight off your whole orchestra to get it back. <laughs> well, they thought you were through with it. <laughs> I nearly killed that for you, didn't I? Oh, well. Uh... And incidentally, now that we're discussing my job, I'm getting pretty tired of matching you double or nothing for my salary every week. Don't blame me, Phil, if you're unlucky matching coins. Well, it's been going on for eight weeks. There's something funny about it. Oh, no, there isn't. You stand just as much chance as I do, so let's forget it. Oh, hello, Mary. Hello, Jack. What's the trouble now? Oh, the same thing. Phil's beefing as usual. I never saw such a guy. Ain't it the truth? Yeah. <laughs> Say, Jack. What is it? Can I borrow that half dollar of yours? What half dollar? You know, the one with the two heads on it. <laughs> Mary. Oh, I get it. A crooked half dollar. All right, wise guy. You cheated me out of eight weeks' salary. Now, listen, Phil. Don't get hasty. Why, you... Now, wait a minute. This may sound fishy, but if you want to know something, I've been saving that money for you. Jack's building a new house, too. Quiet. <laughs> of course I'm building a house, but it's with my own money. You ought to see it. I've got two beautiful coconut palm trees right in front. And it's all mine, not Phil's. Just the same. I'll bet the coconuts have wavy hair. <laughs> now, you're just trying to be funny. Well, that's fine. The house that my Jack built. Now, wait a minute, Phil. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that was going to get such a laugh there. <laughs> now, Phil, look, let me ask you something. You've known me a long time, haven't you? Yes, I have, Jack. Well, do you think for one minute I would ever stoop as low as to cheat you out of your hard-earned money? Definitely. <laughs> now, that's gratitude for you. Gratitude? Why should you want to save my money for me? Because you're always throwing it away. What are you going to have when you get old? Rheumatism, the same as you. It's <laughs> a smart answer, Phil, but I haven't got rheumatism. Gee, do you always groan when you walk? <laughs> Listen, Mary, the only time you ever heard me groan was yesterday when I had my shoes on the wrong feet. Well, how'd you happen to do that, Jack? Oh, I don't know. I must have had my legs crossed when I put them on. <laughs> Not meaning to not meaning to change the subject, Jack, but what about that dough you owe me? Well, Phil, I don't want to have to prove my honesty, but as long as you're so suspicious, here's a bank book with your name on it. Here, take it and keep it. The last time I'll ever try to help anybody. Well, gee, how did I know you? Oh, were don't that? apologize. Go ahead and play a number. We'll forget about it. Okay. Can you imagine that, Mary? That's appreciation for you. Well, Jack, let me ask you something. Do you save your money? Yes, I do. Save it. Jack even carries it around with him. Oh, Mary, I do not. Then what's that big lump in your sock? That's my long underwear. <laughs> well, it's got Lincoln's picture on it. <laughs> a fine thing, Mary, giving away my hiding place. Now I'll have to get a burglar alarm for my garter. Why don't you keep your money in the bank? Because it's none of your business. See, I've had just about enough from you, Mary Livingston. Of all the meddling busybodies... Oh, Jack, Jack, please remember, this is my anniversary. That was last week. Play, Phil. It's a wonder I'm not in a sanitarium. 
Dixie Doodle, played by Phil Harris and his orchestra. And now, ladies and gentlemen, as we have a long play tonight, without further ado... Say, Jack, you know, I was just looking over this bank book. Are you sure there's eight weeks' salary here? Yes, there is. Well, one deposit is 15 cents short. All right, so I had an ice cream soda. <laughs> it doesn't hurt you to treat your business manager once in a while. Here, here's your 15 cents. Oh, that's all right. I just thought I'd mention oh, it. Oh, no, no. Here's your 15 cents. Take it. No, Jack, you keep it. Nothing doing, Phil. Here, take it. Don't be silly. Keep it. Jack's gonna win, folks. <laughs> Stay out of this, Mary. You've caused enough trouble for one night. Oh, uh, Jack, look at Kenny over there. I wonder what's the matter with him. Where? Oh, hello, Kenny. Hello, Jack. What's wrong? Oh, nothing. Well, don't stand there like a pallbearer. What's the matter with you? Well, last Thursday night they gave out the Academy Award for the best movie actor, and I didn't get it. Now, there's a shock. Who did get the award, Kenny? Oh, some guy named Tracy. Tracy? Well, that's Spencer Tracy, and he deserves it. You've only been in pictures a short time, Kenny. What do you expect? Well... Well, I've been in pictures for years. I didn't win the award. You couldn't win it. It was on a punch board. I'm not talking to you. Anyway, Kenny, don't worry about it. Your time will come. It better. You know, I'm the one who should really be upset about the award. See, I just missed it by a hair. Gosh, I, I missed it by a hair last year, too. You'll have to miss it by something else pretty soon. <laughs> I don't know. Let me tell you something, Kenny. You have to have a great dramatic part to be eligible for such a high honor. Well, what about that great scene I had in the Golden Follies? The Golden Follies? Yes, you know. That big scene in the lunch wagon where I was eating all those hamburgers. Kenny, you can't get an Academy Award for eating hamburgers. You can't? No. Well, this is a fine country. <laughs> no, I don't know why I waste my time explaining anything here. You know, Jack, I always thought you did a swell job in pictures. How come you've never been honored with an Academy Award? Well, Don, there's a lot in the part you play. Now, if I'd have been cast in Captain's Courageous like Spencer Tracy, I'd have had a good chance. You know, a story of the sea gives you a great opportunity for dramatic acting. Well, if you're so confident, why didn't you go over to MGM and try to get the part? I did try. I walked up and down in front of that studio for a month with a sailor suit on. <laughs> See, if they can't take a hint, what can I do? You must have looked silly parading up and down the sailor suit. Silly? It was embarrassing. The restaurant next door thought I was picketing their navy bean soup. <laughs> oh, well, all we can do is try. We must never be discouraged. And now, folks, we... Come in. Mr. Benny? Yes? I want to take this opportunity of congratulating you on winning the Academy Award. Thank you very much, but I didn't win. Gee, you ought to get a new jockey. Goodbye. <laughs> hmm, that guy. If he comes in here once more, I'll put sneeze powder in his bubble gum. Whatever that'll do. And now, ladies and gentlemen, for our feature attraction tonight, the Benny Little Theater Movement... We'll uh, present an original courtroom melodrama entitled Death in the Nightclub, or Sally, Irene, and Murder. I thought that picture was Sally, Irene, and Mary. Don't forget, Fred Allen's in it. <laughs> now, uh, 
Fred wasn't listening in, I'll scream. <laughs> now, on the night of February 16th, Mr. Hamilton J. Vance, a Wall Street broker, was murdered in the Hotsy Totsy nightclub. Mr. Vance was just about to finish his dinner when somebody served him a lead demitasse. Who killed him? I'm coming to that. A notorious gangster known as Three Tonsil Divine. <laughs> Alias Scar Voice Andy was suspected and immediately placed under arrest, but denied any connection with the crime. I didn't do it, I tell you. I didn't do it. That remains to be seen, Andy, and hello. Hiya, Buck. <laughs> now, I, I will play the part of Fearless John Benny, a district attorney who has just sent more people up the river than the Albany Nightboat. <laughs> Kenny Baker will be my assistant, which is at least two strikes. <laughs> and Don Wilson will be the attorney for the defense. Say, Jackie, am I going to be in this? Oh, sure, Phil. You can play the part of the orchestra leader of the uh, Hotsy Totsy Club. Why can't I be the victim so I can lay down? What a lazy guy. You'll be the orchestra leader, and I'll get you a windshield wiper for a baton so you won't have to wave it. All right. The first number will be singing in the rain. Oh, shush. What am I going to be, Jack? Well, Mary, you're going to play a double role. First, my sweet little secretary, Millicent Livingston. Ready? Uh, would you like to sign these letters, Mr. Benny? That's very good. And second, that of a hard-boiled nightclub dancer, Gertie Lostrip. <laughs> Try that one. Lay off me a third degree and rather let you have it, see? My, you're a regular Edna G. Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> But, Mary, uh, don't play it quite so tough. You know, be a little sweeter. I want something between Shirley Temple and a lady cab driver. <laughs> and now, folks, for our courtroom murder drama, we'll go on immediately after Kenny Baker's song. Uh, what are you going to sing, Kenny? Sweet is a song, and I dedicate it to the women of America. All of them? Well, you little masher. Mary, help me uh, stack up these law books, will you, kid? <laughs> you close to my heart, darling, you're as grand as very few are. This is heaven so near to you, I'm in love and I'm making it clear to you. Won't you please believe me when I say that? As a song, for you possess all the warm tenderness of old Lang sweet as a tune, serenade to the moon. You'll always be like the quaint harmony of sweet Adeline. You're a lovely reprise of Kiss Me Again. 
song sung by Kenny Baker. And now, ladies and gentlemen... Hey, wait a minute. How was that? Very good, Kenny. And now, ladies and gentlemen... Thanks. Quiet. <laughs> uh, we will present our dramatic highlight, Death in the Nightclub. The scene opens in the office of the district attorney, Fearless John Benny. It is the last day of the big trial of Three Tonsil Divine, and Benny is making last-minute preparations before entering the courtroom. Curtain may use it. Well, Miss Livingston, I think I'm ready. Now, let's see. Uh, here's the gun. That's Exhibit A. There's the bullet, Exhibit B. What's this awful-looking thing here? That's your lunch, Exhibit C. <laughs> uh, there's the phone, D.A. Well, get off my lap and answer it. <laughs> okay. Hello? Yes? Yes, all right, I'll tell him. Goodbye. Who was that? Your wife. Oh, my wife, eh? What does she want? She says if you don't get rid of me, she's going to black your exhibit eye. Well, I can't worry about her. I got this trial on my mind. Have you got those notes that you took at the coroner's inquest? Yes, sir. Well, read them to me. It says that since the corpus delecti was found in a state of rigor mortis, it's a clear case of non compass mentis. It's so facto and too wit. Oh, too wit, eh? That'll hang him. <laughs> Who's there? Kenny Baker, exhibit me. Oh, come in. Well, Baker, did you get those fingerprints I sent you out for? No, but oh boy, have I got a clue. What'd you find out? Well, I was up at the Hotsy Totsy Club snooping around, and the head waiter came over and gave me a kick in the pants. Gave you a kick in the pants? What does that have to do with this case? Well, at least we got footprints. <laughs> That's fine evidence. Well, come on, Baker. We got work to do. And in less than three hours, that jury will bring in a verdict of guilty on my name, Fearless John. Well, peanuts, popcorns, and hot dogs. Can't enjoy the trial without a hot dog. Hear ye, hear ye. This court is now in session. Judge Schlepperman presiding. Everybody rise. Hello, everybody. Sit down and be quiet, please. We will now continue with the case of the state versus the wine. Shall we proceed, gentlemen? The defense is ready, Your Honor. The state is ready, Your Honor. That's fine. Now, go to your corner, gentlemen, and come out fighting. <laughs> <clears throat> now, as my first witness, I'd like to call the orchestra leader of the Hotsy Totsy Club to the stand, Mr. Corny Harris. Where Mr. Harris in? Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Yeah, man. <laughs> now, Mr. Harris, how long have you and your orchestra been playing at the Hotsy Totsy Club? Twelve years, but for the last six, we've been wanting to leave. Well, why didn't you? We can't get the bass drum through the door. 
Twelve years in one place, eh? What's the name of your orchestra? Horny Harris and his stationary gypsies. <laughs> I see. Now listen, Corny. <laughs> you and the defendant, Free Tonsil Divine, are very, very good friends, are you not? I object. The objection is kosher. <laughs> All right, then I'll put it this way. Harris, how long have you known the defendant, Three Tonsil Divine? I object. Kenny, you're on my side. Oh. <laughs> he objects. Objection overlooked. Now answer this. How long have you known the defendant, Three Tonsil Divine? Stop yelling or give me back my 15 cents. Oh, your witness, Mr. Wilson. Uh, Mr. Harris, I'd like to ask you just one question. Yes, sir? Where do you have your hair done? Peepee's Beauty Shopping. I object! <laughs> your Honor, Peepee's Beauty Shop is irrelevant, immaterial, and advertising. Quiet, I'm Peepee. <laughs> oh, I see a sideline. Huh? No more questions. Popcorn, peanuts, and programs. Can't tell a district attorney from a crook without a program. <laughs> Your Honor, the state would now like to call on the dancer at the Hotsy Totsy Club, Miss Gertie Lostrip. Ah, now they're getting someplace. Take the stand, Miss Lostrip. You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? What do you think, big boy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm with a hot patootie. Now, Miss Lostrip, you're a dancer at the Hotsy Totsy Club, is that right? Yes, you mind if I take off my hat? No. And on the night of the murder... You mind if I take off my coat? No. And on the night of the murder, you were dancing, weren't you? You might have off my Yes, hat? I do. Please, let her alone. It's warm in here. The fine judge. Now, Miss Lestrip, where do you live? At the Mars. What's the address? Uh, 33 West 52nd Street. What's your apartment? For heaven's sake, get to the phone number, please. All right, what's your phone number, Miss Lestrip? Gladstone, 2875. Where'd you get that number, Baker? I won it in a raffle. And now, Miss Lestrip, tell us in your own words what happened on the night of the murder. <laughs> well, I was right in the middle of my bubble dance when a man came in with a gun and fired a shot at Mr. Vance. <laughs> well, I could have died. <laughs> Mr. Vance did. Well, you saw the murder. How many times was Vance shot? Just Vance. Vance, eh? And where was he shot? In the pond. I see. Vance was shot Vance in the pond. That'll be all, Miss Lestrip. Your witness, Mr. Wilson. Take her. Now, uh, Miss Lestrip, on the night of the murder, you had dinner at the Hopsy Topsy Club, didn't you? Uh, yes, sir. And you had a dessert, didn't you? Well, I... I Come I, clean I... now. What did you have for dessert? Yellow, because it's the most delicious dessert in America today. I thought so. Now, what flavor did you have? That night I had... Strawberry? No, no, it was raspberry. No, no, wait a minute, I think it was cherry. Are you sure it wasn't orange or lemon? No, I remember it was lime. Ha-ha! <laughs> I knew you'd crack. Hmm, it's lucky we haven't got a jury of sliced bananas. <laughs> no more questions, Mr. Strip. Thank you. Goodbye, Your Honor. Goodbye, nothing. I'll be the same. <laughs> and now, Your Honor, I'd like to call the defendant, Three Tonsil Divine, to the stand. Oh, we're going to see something 
Swear into the fences, please. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? No, sirree, I don't. Oh, come on. No, sir. <laughs> oh, do it for me, will you, Andy? Oh, no. If I tell the truth, you'll hang me. Don't be silly, Andy. There's an electric chair in this state. Well, you better put rockers on it. I'm old-fashioned. Well, I'll have to question you anyway. Now listen, three tonsils. You were in the Hotsy Totsy Club on the night of the murder, weren't you? Yes, sir. I went up to see Ma. She's a chorus girl there. You're Ma, a chorus girl? <laughs> yeah, snake hips divine. All right, then tell me this. And pull down your pants leg. That won't sway the jury. <laughs> now tell me, you hated Hamilton Vance, didn't you? No, I didn't. You were seen leaving the Hotsy Totsy Club with a gun in your hand. So what are you stalling for? You kill Vance and you're going to fry. You're going to burn. You're going to sizzle. Gosh! You haven't got a chance, Devine, so you might as well confess. You murdered Hamilton J. Vance. I didn't do it, I tell you. I didn't do it. <laughs> oh, stop crying. Here, take my handkerchief. can't get anywhere with this guy. I only had some new evidence. Hey, D.A., D.A. What is it, Baker? I was just out in the hall and I met the bartender from the Hotsy Totsy Club. You did? Yeah. He saw everything and he wants to talk. At last, our key witness. Nice work, Baker. Right this way, Mr. Nazaro. At last, I'll cinch this case. Take the stand, Mr. Nazaro. Now, you're the bartender at the Hotsy Totsy Club. Is that right? Yes, sir, I am. Then tell us exactly what you saw on the night of the murder. Well, I was mixing a scotch and soda and a shot rang out. Yes, yes. So I looked up and when he said, Peter, of course, it's been and went right in to get myself a sacred little way outside the mind. Of course, I'd have seen it if you weren't just me, and it's been so long. And he even seen the final sit there, well, since it, oh, it was awful. What was awful? I'm telling you, that Mrs. Nerve seat the big mind. The only secret of the state that made it right of it, but it's gone. Look, and ran right wait, in wait, the Will you talk English? What did you see? I told you. The famous seat where the same old back and reminded oh. the seat of me to sell it. Never said I don't say What? What was that? Somebody just shot the judge. Hooray, we've got a new case. Play, Phil. Vance was probably a rat anyway. There is something new under the sun, and this time it's something new and delicious to eat. It's a special idea for St. Patrick's Day and the gayest dish you've seen in a long time. St. Patrick's Jell-O Molds. Made with shimmering green lime jello with delicious fruit inside. And here's all you have to do. Dissolve a package of lime jello in hot water and chill until slightly thickened. Then fold in two cups of diced grapefruit, half a cup of diced oranges, and half a cup of canned crushed pineapple. Chill until firm, turn out on a platter, and view with pride. A beautiful sea green mold of lime jello with grapefruit, oranges, and pineapple firmly molded inside. And it's tangy taste combination that's delicious and refreshing. Because there's extra rich fruit flavor in jello, believe me, your family will go for this grand St. Patrick's Day dessert. So get ready for the 17th. Order some lime jello tomorrow.
the last number of the 24th program in the new Jell-O series, and we'll be with you again next Sunday night at the same time. Well, Mary, you were very good tonight. I thought you played that double role beautifully. And just for that, you're going to get two checks this week. You mean I get double salary? No, I'm just splitting it. Good night, folks. Jello program for courtesy of Mervyn Leroy Productions. The tune Sweet as a Song is from Sally, Irene, and Mary. Whistle While You Work is from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. This is the National Broadcasting Company. <laughs>